Well, I can see everyone. I'm the only one that gets to take my mask off. Um, I'm going to put this away later. But good to see everyone. Shout out to Busan Campus. I'm sure they're, they're excited in their homes, hooing by themselves. But where's the camera? Is the camera back there? All right, uh, Busan. Uh, our, our campus is really going through um, a very interesting season where we, we, uh, we started out our ministry like as nomads. So we first started worshiping at a, a hotel in Heonde called Sea Cloud Hotel. And then we were too loud and they kicked us out. And then we worshiped at a bar for like six months. Um, it was called Sea Robber's Boss. And then um, uh, this funny, funny guy used to own that place because they, they don't open on Sundays. So we worshiped there. And then he went out of business. And so we worshiped at a Chinese restaurant um, for like four months. It got too expensive. And so we got our two months. And then we got our sanctuary that we had for the past almost eight years. But then um, something happened is that uh, our rent started to go really high. So it, it like, it, I think it like went up $1,000 since eight years, ago, uh, eight years ago. And the crazy thing is when we moved in there, we had this amazing view of like the ocean and uh, of the bridge, Kwangan Bridge. It was like a spectacular view. And then recently these like huge condos came in and got rid of our view. And yet they choose to raise the rent even more. Like I was going to tell them like, hey, we lost the view. You should lower the rent. And they're like, oh, it doesn't work that way. Like everything goes forward. It's called progress, and so we had to move out of there. Um, and so I've been, Mina and I, my wife Mina, we've been going through like a long season of, uh, it's been a very stretchy season, especially for me. I'm one of those people that's very like, I like, I like certainty. I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys know, but I really like certainty, right? And I know that's, that's opposite of faith, but hey, don't judge me, right? Um, but then everything was just up in the air, and so for about a year, I've been just really stressed and just going through a lot, but... I feel like God has had us on this process where I know for Mina, Mina has more faith than me. I always say this, but she really does. Amen. Um, I married well. And so she uh, has more faith than me. For me, I felt like um, it was a season where I would pray to God. I would be like, fix this. Like, make this this way. And he would say, no. And I'd be like, that's what gives me stress, God. (laughs) Fix it. And he's like, no, right? And so I've been going through that, but, I, it, but it's a process. God always has us on a process, and it's been a process of really stretching. But um, we were sharing last night at our staff outing, and it really was an awesome time of sharing. We were sitting in front of a campfire. Um, you know, it was, it was really like a blessed time. But I realized that as I was sharing, I realized, oh, wow, the season that I've been on has been one of the hardest that I've been in in my life. But it's also, I've grown the most, I think. And I feel like, um, yeah, this season was really, is a very uh, interesting season for us. So, um, Busan, we're, we're in the process now. We're nomads again because we don't have a sanctuary anymore. And so, last couple of weeks, we worshipped at a toy museum um, that was run by YWAM. And we, they allowed us to, you know, we were, we've been looking around for spaces like Hard House that we can kind of partner with. So, it was a great space. It's a toy museum. Um, in Hewende, and then this upcoming week, we're going to go to a church um, in PNU through, uh, like, a friend that was introduced to through um, our brother Rodney in Tampa. And so we'll be checking out that place, and we're going to come to a decision in a couple of weeks. But until then, I, I feel like God's tell, He's saying, like, 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 I have you. Don't worry. You know, like, you, you'll end up somewhere. I'm going to get you there. It's like the, the wilderness, right? And I feel like... I, you know, I, I'm tempted to be like, dude, I just want to go back to Egypt, right? But then uh, God's like, don't worry, man. You know, we have you. So it's been a really trying season. Really good to be here. I feel honored to be here every time. It's an honor to uh, be blessed with the pulpit. Um, I don't take this lightly. And if you guys are preachers, you guys should not take being in, invited somewhere to preach lightly. It's very, you know, I, I really, I really uh, I feel really, uh, it's a privilege to be here. And it's a, a mini uh Puzan reunion, we have Sarah Boyle, our uh, Puzan church plant member, and our sister Lydia with our new baby and husband. You know, we love you guys. Really been blessed by you guys uh, in Puzan. And um, thank you so much for your serving, your times of years of serving in our church. Yeah, she don't care. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, Sarah. But we, I haven't seen Sarah in a long time. I couldn't make it to your wedding, but it's, been, it's really good. Like, I saw them. I was like, oh, my God, it's a beautiful reunion. Uh, it's good to see you guys. Today, I'm going to be preaching out of the book of John. Um, we've been in Busan. We've been going through the book of John for, about, I think, about like eight months. Um, and if, for those that are streaming from Busan, this might be a little bit of a review, but, you know, I, I believe that the, the Lord has a good word for us today. My sermon comes from the book of um, John chapter 6. So if you want to turn your Bibles to John chapter 6, I'll read it to you guys. I'll read it in the ESV. That's the only version that I have right here. And it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, lifting up his eyes. Then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said, to the, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves and went and... He had given thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftovers, fat fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered up them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is a prophet who is coming into the world. And so I'll stop there. And uh, this is one of the seven miracles of Jesus that are recorded in the book of John. Uh, there's only actually only seven miracles recorded in the book of John. Um, John's very meticulous about his writing. Like the way that he writes, um, you know, like the synoptic gospels are just kind of like, you know, they like go through the, the span of his life or his ministry. And, you know, like, you know, it's just kind of very similar. But John... You can tell that John, he writes his book in a like he's a melancholy. You can tell. Who's a melancholy in here, right? Yes. Yeah, you, guys, you guys are very, like, detail-oriented, and, and you guys are, like, and who's also um, event-oriented? Anybody? Yes. I, I believe John is event-oriented, right? Because he, he would, like, spend, like, like, all this time, like, talking about, like, a month in Jesus' life, and he would skip, skip, like, years, right? And so... Um, you can tell that he's very methodical about, methodical about the way he writes. And in the book of John, there are seven miracles. You know, and he's actually, you know, you know that he's done a lot of miracles. He did a lot of miracles in his ministry. But John only records seven. And in uh, chapter 5, verse 36, it says, we get a picture of what, like, why Jesus did miracles. Right? Why Jesus was all about miracles. And in verse 36, it says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. But Jesus says, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I, ha- I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself, has himself borne witness about me. So basically, he does miracles to kind of show to the world that, hey, I am who I say I am, right? And, and I am from the one who has sent me, right? He's, saying, he's talking about the Father, and John reiterates this in chapter 20, verse 30. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so we know that the reason that Jesus did miracles and the reason why John writes this gospel was to show that Jesus was the Son of God, so that we could believe. That is the Father that had sent him, and that so that we can believe and be saved. Right? It's this. There's this thing about faith and 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 belief, and just like you know, saying like this, like Jesus is 
who he says he is. He has done what he has said he has done, and he can do what he says he can do in your life. That's kind of like the, the, the push of John, right? And he really just like, he writes this very methodically. And so here in John chapter 6, we have this miracle that he performs in the midst of thousands of people. Um, it's a very important miracle. Right? Two, two reasons why. One, it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. So all four of the Gospels record this miracle of feeding of the 5,000. So there's kind of like some significance to that. And um, it, it was also a very public miracle. Like there's miracles that Jesus did that were very like between two people. And he would be like, shh, don't tell anybody, right? <laughs> he'd be like, like if anybody asked. It wasn't me. And he would like dip out, right? He'd like, he'd like sneak away, you know? Like he was very like, like he didn't want everybody to know. He, he was very like private. But then this is a very public miracle. He gathers like 5,000 people. And that's just the men. They're very patriarchal. Women didn't count back then. So if you really think about it, I'm not, I don't mean that, right? <laughs> I'm just saying that back then they didn't count women. They only counted the men. And so if you really think about it, counting the women and the children, there's probably about like 15,000 to like 20,000 people that are following Jesus at this time. And so he does this miracle where everybody actually gets to take part in what happens. Like 20,000 people gather together to take part in this miracle. So it's a very important miracle in the ministry of Jesus. You know, like he starts off this miracle, this ministry, starts performing miracles, healings everywhere. I think I drank too much coffee today. My heart is like, do, 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 do. I woke up and JP made me this coffee that was like, I felt like, like I should, that's all I needed for the day. And then I had another coffee at the, at the bungee jump. Oh, we went bungee jumping today. You guys don't know, man. Susie, we talked Susie into bungee jumping and Gina into bungee jumping. And then I had another coffee when I got here. So my heart right now, if I feel a little out of breath, it's because I feel like I drink way too much coffee. So Jesus, he performs all these miracles. He starts to heal people, you know, and then like, and then like, not just the 12 were following, but like hundreds and sometimes thousands of people were following Jesus. They were all like gathered. They all wanted to know like, who is this guy? Who is this man that can like, like, like do these kinds of miracles? And who is this man that can, can speak and preach and say things and like, like affect the heart of like man and, and, and speak with such authority, right? And so all these people were following him. And in the midst of thousands of people, that are gathered there, he, he, he sees. And imagine, I don't know if you've seen thousands of people and like gathered together, but imagine like thousands of people are gathered. Goes up to his disciples and he, and he, he asks this really funny question. He's like, where are we going to get food to feed these people? Right? Now Jesus doesn't ask this question because he doesn't know. It's not like a question that he's asking because he really wanted to know like where can we get food for these people. But he's saying this so that he could teach a lesson. Because John records in verse 6, he said, um, what he says, he, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, today, if, you, if I told one of you guys, I said, hey, right, I know we haven't planned anything, J- JP, we, I know we haven't planned anything, with there's 5,000 people coming here, and we need to feed them, I want you to go and fi- get some food for 5,000 people, right? Even now, that would be very difficult. Right? Even now, like feeding 5,000 people with no planning, even now, that would be very difficult, right? But back then, this was impossible. Right? Ain't no Costco over there where you can go and get in those pallets and get like five people and get like Glamion and like, and just like get a credit card, pay it, and put it in your car and drive and you give out 500 Ramians, right? There's, there's no way. This is an impossible thing. God, Jesus is saying, how can we do this? And he knows the answer. It's impossible. It's impossible. There's no, you know, you know like Uber Eats, you know, like mobilize, like, you know, like a, thousands of Uber Eats drivers to bring all this food, right? It, it, it was impossible. And it would have been expensive. Philip's like, 200 denarii would be barely, like, w- w- worth of bread would not be enough to even get, have them just get a little bit of bread, you know? Denarii, denarii, I don't know if it's denarii or denarii, Back then, it was like a day's worth, a uh, laborer's uh, wages for the day. So if I worked all day, I'm a laborer, I would probably get, say I get $100, right? So if that's the currency, and if that's the, you know, the labor rate, it would cost $20,000 to f- give just one person there just a little bit of bread. 
And so Jesus asked him this question to point out the sheer impossibility of it all. Of taking on an endeavor like this. And to the disciples, it was impossible. You can almost sense the frustration in Philip. He's like, not even 200 denarii is going to even give just, just a little thing. You know, like, what are you talking about, Jesus? All right? it's like, this is not, you know, like 2020, right? There, there isn't, you know, home plus where we can go. This isn't what you're talking about is impossible. And the heart of the lesson in this miracle is the impossibility of it all. As people, we live every day with the knowledge that some things are just impossible. Right? You, you, I'll never fly like a bird. You know? I almost did today. We jumped off, but I sank, right? We fell to the ground and then bounced up and down and then we landed on a boat and you know we were done. But there's certain things in our lives that are just impossible. You know, I'll never be a rapper. Forty-five, I just turned forty-five. I will never become a professional rapper. That, that is impossible for me. It's impossible for me to run faster than a car, jump, jump higher than a building. But things don't have to be super for them to be, seem impossible. As a matter of fact, there are things in your life that you have deemed impossible that might not seem like an impossibility to somebody else. For me, one of those things is me going back to America. And I don't know if you guys know, I got deported to Korea like in 2007. So when I left, they told me, Mr. Lee, you can never come back to America. I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And then they would tell me again, Mr. Lee, when you sign this, you will never be able to come back to America. Oh, I got that. <laughs> and then the next person would tell me, right? So like in my heart, like as one that has been deported, it's like, it's like, it's hard for me to have a faith. And, and, and it seems like an impossibility for me. And that's my first point regarding this miracle is that God wants us to embrace the impossible. He wants us to embrace the impossible. When it comes to impossible things for me, what I do is I take it and then I put it away in the crevice of my heart. <laughs> Just cram it down there. And don't we naturally do that with impossible things? When we say, oh, that's impossible for me. I can never do that. And so, you know, we just kind of cram it away and put it away. For Susie, it was like, oh, I can never go bungee jumping. I'm just gonna... I asked her and she, was, she looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, oh, you're crazy, man. And we talked her into it. And then she's like, thank you so much. Thank you so much for talking me into it. It was amazing. You know, I, like, you know, we think like, oh, that's impossible. Don't dwell on it. Don't think about that. When it comes to things that seem impossible to us, we naturally put it in the back burner. We, we cram it into the part of our hearts. We put it in the trunk. We, ne- we don't deal with it, right? But here's the thing about God. He wants us to embrace what is impossible. Because God, God's plan for you isn't for you to do what's possible for you, but He wants you to do what's possible with him in line with his will. God wants you to do his will and his will many times will seem like an impossibility to you. Now, I'm not telling you to go after just anything that seems like an impossibility. No, I can't rap. So I'm, I'm not going to go and rent some studio and start writing rhymes and you know, like, it's impossible, but I'm going to do it. No, you, like, you, you, you know, just because you, you want a Bentley doesn't mean that you're supposed to buy a Bentley, right? The Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Many people get this verse twisted. They think, God's going to give me whatever I desire in my heart. I desire a Harley Davidson. I really do. I was in Sydney and, and went to my friend's cafe and he had this employee and he's like, he had a Harley. I know how to ride a motorcycle. And so, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. And he's like, you want to ride it? And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I really desire it in my heart. Doesn't mean that I, get, I desire to be thin again. Before I got married, I look good. I don't know if you guys know that. Every time people come to our house. And they look at our wedding pictures. They always say, what happened? 
And I don't want to feel that anymore. I, every single person that's come to our house, that's seen the pictures hanging on our wall, they always look at it, and they look at me, <laughs> they look at it again, and they always say, what happened? But just because I want it doesn't mean that I'm supposed to get it. Where am I? I lost my place. You know, but a lot of times what it comes down to is that verse, there's a precursor. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, like, we act like kids sometimes. My kids, if they get something in their mind, they want something, they will not stop talking about it. And they think the more they talk about it, that they're going to get it. It's like this kid logic. So they'll see a movie, they'll find a toy on their iPad that matches, and they'll be like, Dad, I want this. It's called Abominable. His name is Everest. I want it now. I want it. And, like, and, it, and they think like, if they, they feel like if they want it hard enough, that they're, they're going to get it. That they're supposed to get it. It's kid logic. But this verse in this passage says, it, it, there's a very strong precursor to this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And when you start to really des- delight yourself in the Lord, I don't know if you guys ever really delighted you know, yourself in the Lord. And, and he starts to become the delight of your heart more than a new house, more than a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or more than a husband or a wife, more than a new car, a motorcycle or anything else that you want. When you start to really desire, like when you look at God and be like, God, you are the delight of my heart. You know what happens? Things start to change in your heart. That's what this passage is talking about. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then God's going to start to put things in your heart that's going to start to be like your delight. That's God places in there. And then when that happens, He's going to give you the delight of your heart. You delight and you commune with God. We worship Him. We seek Him. We seek His presence. And He will start to fill our hearts with His desires. And he will put some desires in your heart that seem utterly impossible. And he will take that desire and, and what we usually do, we just I cram it away. God tells me something. God, he, God's like, I think you're supposed to do this. I'm like, that's hard, God. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. I'm going to just kind of cram it away, put it away over here and maybe think about it in 2022. Because it's too much for us to dwell on it. It's too hard in the natural. And so we kind of push what, like, and we start to choose the desires of our heart. And we do what I talked about earlier. Like, God, this is what I want. I want you to give me this. Fix this. Make this. Do this in my life. And God's like, I think you should do this. And you're like, that's too hard. This is so much easier, God. Answer my prayer. Do this and do it this way. And I will, like, my heart will be delighted. And God doesn't work that way. God wants us to embrace the impossible because he wants to he wants us to live extraordinary lives. This walking with God isn't about us doing what we can do in the natural, but we can do, but it's about what we can do with the help of God. With him is power at work in our lives. What are the impossible things that you've crammed into the closet of your heart? Now, I mentioned earlier that me going back to America it seems like this impossible. But Mina, she's, I told you, she has more faith than me. She talks about it all the time. You can go to America one day. I'm like, mm, no. They told me many times that I couldn't, you know? And then my, my friends would come up and like, my friend Rodney in Tampa, he'd be like, Caleb, he's from, he's from Georgia. So he'd be like, Caleb, <laughs> you're, you're, you know what? It's just not your time now. But when the time comes, you're going to come back to America. I'm like, oh, I don't know, Rodney. You know, it's, it's hard for me to believe. And it's in my heart, you know, it seems like this impossibility. Of course, I want to go back, right? I would love to go back and eat tacos that doesn't taste sweet. 
I have no idea why Koreans like to make their sauce sweet. I would love to go to America, you know, and visit my own neighborhood. Go watch an NFL game with my father-in-law. You know, one of the dreams I have is going to America and a, and a, and a church inviting me to preach. And me preaching in America. It's a desire of my heart. But to me, it's like that scene in Inception. Remember, have we seen Inception? Remember where he spins that thing and he sees his kids. And he doesn't know if it's real or not. And then it fades to black. And you don't know if he actually got into the country or not. That's what it feels like for me, right? It's this uncertainty and I can't. And so I take that and I start to kind of cram it away in my heart. I don't deal with it. I kind of put it away. And Mina will talk about it. And I'm like, ah, I don't have the, I don't have the faith to stand on that. But God wants us to embrace the impossible. What are the impossible desires that God's placed in your heart? It's impossible for a reason. Because you're not meant to do it alone. I don't know if you guys know, but you know, I went to prison. And so when, before I, I graduated college, I had done almost 90% of all my schoolwork. And then my life went off the rails. Right? And I started doing drugs and I went down this path. And so when I got deported, um, I, I hadn't finished my, my, my degree in bi- Biola. And my mom would always tell me, like, oh, I spent so much money on you, right? Like, like can't you just do it? And then so, like, my, I would contact them. I'd be like, dear Viola, I went to your school in 1994. And they're like, what? And, like, I would like to see if I can transfer my credits. And they would be like, oh, you have to come in. Like, you, we would need you to come in for that. I'm like, I cannot do that. <laughs> Like, uh, I, I, could pro- I, I swear my name is Chin Lee. My, my Korean name, my name in America was Chin Lee, right? That's, what, that's just a name that my parents gave me when I immigrated. It's like, you know, my name is Chin Lee. This is my social, uh, oh, my, that's, that's a, di- a different part right here. And so I, I would contact him many times. And I'd be like, please, if you could just help me out. And I got, I got the wall every time. Oh, I'm sorry. You need to come in. Or we'll get back to you on that. And they will never get back to me, right? And so that, that was back in like, I started doing that about like seven years ago. And I kind of gave up. In my heart, it became an impossibility. I placed it into that part of my heart. I'd be like, oh, it's impossible. But then recently, I, was, I went through, I told you about the season I went through. I went through this really tough season in my life. I started to question things. I'm like, God, is this really what you want me to do? And I'm like, oh, I don't feel happy, God. And I, feel, I don't feel joy in my heart. And I just like, I went through this really tough season. And I remember God specifically tell me, I want you to go to seminary. I would tell him, God, that's an impossibility, right? Because I would have to start over and do four years of undergrad all over again. I can't, that's impossible for me, right? Don't you know I'm 44 years old, right? I went through these things and then God kept on telling me, I want you to go and I want you to go to seminary. And so one day I decided in my heart, I was like, God, I remember, you know, I like, if you really want me to do this, I'll do it. I'm going to go and start. I, that means I have to take, like, calculus again. I have no idea what calculus is about, right? I forgot everything. I looked at my, my, my son asked me, what's 15 times 15? I could not tell him. I had to ask Mina. I was like, what is it? <laughs> I'm so bad at math, but I, I'm willing to do it all over again, God. I'll do it. Okay, I'll do it, right? And so I decided in my heart, and when that happened... I just, I'm just telling my story now. And so uh, I, I, there's a school in South Africa that's really cheap, very affordable. And so I, I, I contacted them, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we can do it. There's three years undergrad over there, right? Three years. And, so, and then you just have to learn theology classes, and you can get your undergrad. So I was like, oh, maybe I can do it online over there. So there's a guy that was coming to our church that was doing that program. And so I talked with him. I was like, all right. I made up my mind. I said, Jesus, if you really want me to do this, I'm going to do it. And I, and I said, I'm going to surrender this to you, and I will put myself through this, and I'm going to do it, right? And right when that happened, and this is like the supernatural part, because God always breaks in. When you surrender something to God, God will always meet you in that place, right? And so one night, right before, I, I was actually about to like start to contact the school and, and get, get everything done. One last email to Biola. I'm like, dear Biola. My name's Chin Lee. I went to your school in 1994. I have a lot of credits there. I would like to get them transferred. Is there anything that you can do to help me? And then I sent the email. It was like 10 o'clock at night. I watched the TV show. Go back online. I get it. I get it. Respond really quickly. It's like, dear Chin Lee, 
If you would like to access your transcript, just email this. Go to this place and fill out this form and we can do it for you. And I was like, what? I never gotten this response like this before. So I went on the line. I went online, saw the form, filled it out. And there's like, what is your social security number? Now, you guys have to realize, I'm 45 years old. I haven't thought about my social security number since I was 19 when I got my job at a bank, right? I have no idea. But then this number was floating around in my head. I believe it was supernaturally given to me by the Lord, right? <laughs> and I remember, da, 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 right? Seven digits. I go online. <laughs> How many digits is a social security number? Seven. I said, okay. And so I started thinking, and I was like, I'm just going to do it. I typed it in. I can't tell you what it is because, you know. As so I typed it in, I sent it in, and they're like, oh, your transcript will be sent, like, within three hours. And I was like, what is going on, right? So, like, one in the morning, I get my transcript in, the ma- in email form. I go through it. I have a 3.3 average. I did pretty well, right? Until my life went off the rails. And then so I'm like sitting there. I'm like, this is amazing. I've tried to do this for like eight years, right? And it just happened within like three hours. So I'm like, I'm dumbfounded. <laughs> so that night I start going, you know, I was like, uh, is there any way that I can like access some kind of online classes at Biola? It's like, oh yeah, we've just started a business management class that you can take online from anywhere. And I was like, oh, how do I get information about that, right? So that night, I basically got accepted back to Biola, right? And then, and then, you know, like, they were like, oh, you need to pay for some loans that you didn't pay off. And I was like, oh, I thought it was a lot more, but it was reasonable. And then, like, God literally supernaturally orchestrated this way for me to finish school. But you know, you know where that started? You know where this process started? It started in the place in my heart where I was like, God, I'm going to do it. I answer whatever you tell me to do. It seems impossible for me, but I know that you will be there with me. And as soon as I answer that, God starts to open doors for you. God wants us to embrace the impossible. He doesn't want us to just resort to things that we can do on our own. Because you know what? We can do that on our own. God doesn't, didn't, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you can do whatever you can do on your own. He wants us to embrace what we can't do so he can do it through us and in us. Because if you place it in your heart, his grace is there for you to achieve it. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it, you might not fail or stumble or mess up at times. But if you place it in your heart, he will give you the grace and the strength to endeavor. For some of you guys, it might be in the area of relationships. Maybe God placed a desire for you to reconcile with somebody. And you're like, oh, no. I don't think I can do that. You know? Maybe God's placed something in your heart where, for, where he's telling you to forgive somebody. And you're like, oh, that is impossible, God. I can't forgive this person. But he wants you to embrace whatever you've deemed impossible in your life. God is going to come to you and he said, you know what? With you, by yourself, this is impossible. But with me, it's possible. And just one chapter before this, Jesus walks up to a man that's been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. My wife is 38 years old. For the life that she's been, this guy had never walked for 38 years. And Jesus goes up to this guy and he asks this amazing question. He's like, do you want to be healed? That's like Jesus coming up to me and saying, do you want to be thin? And I'd be like, of course, God. You know the desires of my heart, right? But here's the thing. The man who hasn't walked for 38 years, he, Jesus asked him this question. And instead of like getting a, you know, heck yeah, I want to get healed. You know what he does? He gives him an excuse. He's like, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another one steps in before me. And, and he gives him this excuse. You know, excuses. We all have them, right? They're like belly buttons. We all have excuses. And this man responds to Jesus when he, Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? You've been an invalid for 38 years. Do you want to be healed? You know, and he's like, oh, no one's here to put me in the way. I guarantee you, if that man 
truly believed and he truly wanted to be healed, he would somehow get himself into that water, right? He would like, he, he's sitting by the pool and he's like, you know, he, he's sitting by the pool and he's laying on his back and then the water gets stirred and he would somehow just, ah, and he would somehow get himself into the water, you know what I mean? There's, there's many ways that he can try and he can, have, but he's saying that, you know what, nobody's there to put me into the water. And he gives Jesus an excuse. Excuses limit us. Because excuses will always keep us from looking at the impossible things that God can do. We rationalize our inability to change. Excuses will rationalize our inability to change. We'll never move forward. But Jesus wants us to say, hey, don't give me no excuses. I died on the cross for you. You have no excuses. I've forgiven you of every kind of every sin that you could possibly imagine. It's clean. You have relationship with me. You have no excuses. And he wants us to embrace embrace not just what you can do in your life, but embrace what he can do through your life. It's only through the help of Jesus. And my second point is this. You have to surrender it to God. The main character in this, in this, in this uh, story or in, you know, in this recollection is not, is not the disciples. It's not the thousands of people that are gathered there. The main character of this story is actually the little boy. And Jesus wants us to focus on the little boy. With the, with the five barley loaves and the two fish. The Bible says that they were barley loaves. It's very telling. Barley was considered like peasant food and they would give it to the pigs. This is poor peasant food. This poor kid. He's not some like son of like a rich lady that's like, Oh, I want you to go to learn from Jesus. Here's, a, here's some bread and some fish. and go. Nobody packed him this lunch, right? This is probably the only food that he has in the whole world. And, he's, and it's on him because he's probably homeless. He's probably an orphan. He's just probably carrying around because it's all the food that he has, in, that he can possibly like have in the world. This peasant food, and then he surrenders it to Jesus. He gives it up. He said, he gives it to him. He's like, you do as you please with this. His precious food. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's probably hungry. But he gives it to Jesus to do as he will. And the lesson here is if God, if we want God to do what he wants with us, we have to surrender that to the Lord. What are five barley loaves with two small fish in light of thousands of people that are gathered here? Sometimes what we have may seem so small, so insignificant. It's not the fact that the impossibility isn't because the obstacle is so insurmountable. The impossibility seems because we, seem to, we, we feel like we have so little. We have so little to offer. What we have seems so insignificant. What do I have to offer? What can I do for God? I don't have any talents. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. I feel like that all the time. But whatever we have, no matter how insignificant it may be, if we surrender it to God and we allow God into the situation, we allow God to do with it as he pleases, great things can happen. You know, God will always meet you in the place of surrender. He will never let you down. He will never forsake you. He might not give you money. Right? He might not give you a car. God, I really need a car. I surrender my life. You know, But if, you, if there's a true surrender in your heart and you are, Holy Spirit is in you and He's doing His work and you, you're like, God, this is hard. You know, we've all been through that. We're like, oh God, this is hard. I don't know if I can do this, but you know what? I'm going to surrender this situation to you. I'm going I'm to let it go and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, your will be done. And you know what? God will always meet us in that place of surrender. How, no matter how insignificant it may be, He will always meet us there. But you see, it requires surrender. 
you, you take what you have and you surrender it to God. And you, you take that leap of faith. And God can take what you give him and do amazing, wondrous, awesome things. He can do miracles in your life. They might not seem miracles to somebody else. But to you, it's going to be a miracle. For me, me going back to the school, that's a miracle. I don't know if you guys know that. But like, I woke up that morning. I, I, I woke me up. I was like, a miracle doesn't happen, girl. You know, like, <laughs> do you know how long I've tried to do this, right? Now, like, like what I'm talking about, like, they think, people think that miracles need to be like a limb growing out or like the blind seeing or, you know. But God does things like that in the world. But you know what? There's plenty of miracles that happen where something that may not seem like a miracle to somebody else is a miracle to you. God breaking into your life in something where you felt like, God, I will never be free of this. This is impossible for me to be free of this, God. I'm just going to say, I'm, this is the way that I'm going to live, and then I'm going to see you. And then Jesus breaks in. And you're like, this is a miracle. It's, it can be a supernatural transformation in your life. He wants to show us that we, He can do impossible things, but it requires us to embrace the impossible, surrender to Him, to His will and to His ways, and we give God what we have to offer Him, and then He steps in and He breaks in, and He meets us in that place of surrender. He wants us to live abundant, extraordinary lives. But it's letting go of what you think you can do or what think you should do with your life and submitting it to God and what He can do in your life. Surrender. You know, it's not like I talk about like, God, bless this. I want you to bless this this way. How many times have we done that with God? Please, do it this way and make this happen and make it like this and make Him look like that. And, you know, and, and everything will be you know, copacetic with me, God. And you and me, we're good. No, God will not work like that in your life. I've told you, this whole season, I've been telling God, fix it. <laughs> so many times I would go up to him and be like, Jesus, I just need you to fix this right now. And I won't feel so anxious. I just need you to, you know, like, do this for me. Do it this way. And I'll, I'll be fine with you. But what I've been learning is that God does not do it that way. But you require surrendering it to Him. And, and this is the thing. I'm not saying that you're not supposed to want stuff or desire stuff. But let me tell you, if you really want something, like if you really want something, surrender it to God and see what He does. I'm telling you. Some of you guys want to get married. You take that and you're like... You know, I've seen some of you guys. You get a certain age and you get a new look in your eyes. like marriage, Right? <laughs> But you, you surrender that to God. So you say, God, I surrender to you. I want this. Sometimes it's hard because you want it so bad. And you're like, God, I surrender it to you. And then, and then see what God does in that place of surrender. I guarantee you, God will surprise you. He will always surprise you. He, he might blow you away. He might do amazing things. My third point and this miracle, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to give thanks. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them, to those who were seated. This is such an important posture of our heart in the kingdom of heaven. For us to have a heart of thankfulness, thanksgiving. Thankful in all circumstances. You know, being thankful in all circumstances is like a key to the supernatural. Do you know that? I'm not telling you, be, I'm not saying being thankful when things go right. And Luna and someone just had a baby. She's cute, or he's cute. <laughs> he's healthy. Oh, thank you, God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when things are tough in your life. When things are not going right in your life. When you were expecting something and God said, maybe not right now. And you're like, God, this is hard. But you give thanks in, in that circumstance. True, real things. You know, real things require your heart to be open. You can't be like, thanks God. And be like, <laughs> you know? I guarantee you, it's, it's, a, it's a way for you to enter into the supernatural. It really is. Being thankful in all circumstances. 
do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. It surpasses all understanding because it's supernatural. Do you know that? It, naturally, it's supposed to feel like this in my brain and in my heart. But then when we truly give thanks and we, we're like, God, I surrender this here. I give you thanks. And then all of a sudden, like, I don't feel the way I think I'm supposed to feel. I'm not thinking the way that I'm supposed to think. That's a supernatural response. It surpasses our understanding because it's supernatural. To be thankful in whatever circumstances and situations you are in is the key to access the spiritual power of God. You know, God, this seems impossible for me. But I know you're with me. I surrender control over to you. I take a step of faith. But even if things don't go the way that I expect it to go, I give you thanks. I thank you. Even though I'm going through this right now, I give you thanks. Even though it feels so hard, and even though I have so much anxiety in my heart, I have so much fear in my heart, I I give you thanks. And the Bible says that the peace of God surpasses all understanding. Especially my understanding will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. This is not a step-by-step process in getting impossible things in your life. That's not what I'm talking about. If you're thinking that way, you're missing the point. This is a position of the heart. You guys have to understand. If you're taking this sermon and thinking, you know what? If I do what Caleb tells me to do, I think I can get this. You, you missed the mark. It, it done flown over your head, right? What Jesus is talking about is the position of the heart. This is how we're supposed to posture ourselves before the Lord. Saying, God, you could do anything through me and in me. I embrace you. You can do anything. I surrender my heart to you. And in this place, I give you thanks. What I see before me are my enemies. What I see before me is my debt. What I see before me is sickness. What I see before me is like, you know, a failed marriage. What I see before me is my kids are rebelling. What I see before me is like, you know, like whatever it is. But you say, God, I give you thanks in this situation. It's the posture of your heart. And Jesus is saying, when you... Position your heart in this way. You're opening yourself up for God to move in your life. One of the most important aspects of walking with God is thanksgiving. You can do amazing things. You can be like talented beyond belief. Like David Hall. I think David Hall is a very talented man. Very good looking. Where is he at? He can sing up here, and you know Brian can sing up here and worship and do all these things. He's also very talented. But then, if he doesn't have a, a, a heart of thanksgiving in his heart, he's doing it wrong. Whatever you give to God, it could be the greatest thing. If you don't have a thanksgiving in your heart, you're doing it wrong. Your heart is not right. But if you have a heart of thanksgiving, whatever you give to God, no matter how insignificant or how little it is, can be great in the kingdom. He can do amazing things with it. It's like the widow offering in Mark 12, 41. He sat down, before, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make up a penny. And he called his disciple to him and said, To them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. We see how God, he sees, he looks at the heart. And he's looking at the posture of our heart. He's not looking at our abilities or our talents or what, we can, what he can get out of us. He's saying, how is Caleb's heart today? How is Mina's heart today? How is Susie's heart today? How is the posture of her heart? doesn't mean all of the things that we do. It's like gibberish to God. He's only focused on our heart and what the position of our heart. And a heart of true thanksgiving is a heart that recognizes who he is and the circumstances that we might be in, and we give him thanks. And this, this is like, this pleases the heart of the Lord. 
thankful heart is one that is surrendered to him, is open to him. And God says that this is, this is great in the kingdom of God. So we embrace the impossible, we surrender to him, our, our position, our hearts, and we give him thanks in all circumstances. Here's my last point. Number four, when we live like this, we live in abundance. We live in overflow. Everybody say overflow. Overflow, overflow is, not, is not a financial thing. Some of you guys might be here, it's like, oh, that means I'm going to be rich. Like, you know, like Dave Chappelle, I'm rich, you know? Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to those that were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, and nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves they left by, they left by those who had eaten. Like I said, it doesn't mean that you're going to be rich. It doesn't mean that you're going to get what you want. But it does mean is that you're going to live in overflow. You're going to live under the grace and the strength and the power of God. His love will overflow in your life. His grace and His mercies and His goodness will overflow in your life. It's abundant. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come so that you may have, they may have life and life abundantly. He wants us to live in this kind of way where we're not like scared and anxious and just like trying to get everything that we can so that we're not in lack. But he's he'd be like, dude, I'm like, I have you. You're in my hand. There's nothing that you will lack. And I'm going to fill you with love and grace and mercy. So you live in this the joy and the abundance of the life that I have for you. He wants to live in this kind of abundance and overflow. We will be people that's not so much about money or things that we can have in this world. But we'll be people that's about how much of Jesus we can have in this world. How much Jesus can I have in this world? How much Jesus can I have in my life? The more Jesus I have, the more abundant my life is. We start to see things not based on the way that the world sees things. But we start to see things based on the way that the kingdom of God has been ordained by God. And we start to have kingdom priorities. Where we look at a situation. It's not like how it's going to impact my wallet. That's not my wallet. How it's going to impact my wallet. How it's going to impact my bank account. What's it going to do to my kids? What's it going to do to my family? Instead of that, we look at God like, hey, how is Jesus going to be? How is, how is the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus going to be in this situation? He wants us to live extraordinary lives, abundant lives. His, his understanding of abundance is very different than that of the world in natural thinking. You can have everything you can ever imagine in this world and still be miserable. There's a lot of people that are like that. I know a lot of rich people that were miserable. When they, when they came to the kingdom of God, you can, you can have just the bare minimum. And have joy overflowing in your life. Have peace overflowing in your life. You know, there's people that go out and spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to just get a little bit of peace in their heart. Do you know that the peace business? You know what the peace business is? It's like therapy, American therapy. There's all the self-help books. They spend thousands of dollars. And what are they getting? What do they want at the end? There's a little bit of peace in their heart. And are they able to get it? Maybe for a couple of months. It doesn't last. But Jesus is like, I came so that you can have true peace in your life. That's going to be with you. Whether you're up here, whether you're down here, whether you have the world or you have nothing. You're in, whether you're in lack, when you're in abundance. Sorry. No matter what is going on in your life, I will give you a peace that is lasting. That's the abundance that Jesus is talking about. I want to close today. And, and, and I want to kind of challenge you guys. What are the impossible things in your life? What are those things that you've deemed impossible? And you have the temptation right now to take things into your own hands. You might think something is so impossible that you're like, Oh God, this is impossible. I'm just going to take things into my own hands. That's one of the worst things that you can do. 
one of the worst decisions that you can do. Some of you guys, some of you guys might have taken whatever impossible things that God wants you to do and crammed them deep into your heart and you're afraid to bring it out because you don't want to be let down. You don't want to be disappointed. Whatever it is, I want, to, I, want, I want David or Brian. I was like, what's his name again? Brian. Sorry, I know Brian. My sons call him Hulk. Hulk. Hulk Samchun. Because his eyebrows look like Hulk. <laughs> I want us to... I know that we all have them. I know we all have some things that we may have placed into our lives into our heart, some things that we might actually be have the temptation to take into our own hands and try to fix it on our own. There are certain things where God's saying, hey, I want, you to, I want this in your life. And you're like, God, that's too hard. That's impossible. God, that's the, what you're talking about. That's impossible. But you know what? We can't say that to God because all things are possible with God. There's nothing that is impossible with God. But it requires us to let go of the understanding in our heart that it's supposed to look the way that you think it's supposed to look. And you need to let go of the idea of holding on to it so hard because it's, it, 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 this, this is what you think that you should have in your life. Whatever it is, I want you to kind of place that impossibility before you right now. Maybe God wants you to attempt something. Maybe God wants you to let go of something. Maybe God wants you to forgive. Maybe God wants you to, 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 to start something, start a business. Maybe God's calling you into a ministry. Maybe God's calling into you into a calling that you've never thought about in your life. But whatever it is, I want you to place it before you. Place it before you. And, and I want you to say, God, I surrender this to you. And that word surrender isn't just letting go. But I want you to think of surrender as, God, I surrender my idea of what this is supposed to be into your hands. So that you can shape it and form it into what you will for my life. And as you do that, let's close by giving thanks to God. And you, you thank him like God in all in this whatever happens as I surrender this to you now, as I put this into your hands, whatever happens, I give you thanks. No matter what this is gonna look like, and no matter how this is gonna go in my life, I give you thanks. I thank you because you are who you say you are. And you've done what you said you've done. And I know that you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. That you are with me. So Lord, I just pray for everybody in here, God. And Lord, we know that we all have impossible things in our lives. God, we just declare them to you today. And we say that Lord, they may be impossible for us. They may seem impossible for us. But Lord, we pray that you will bring life back into the possibility of what you can do. I pray for an awakening in the spirit of the people in this place. I pray right now that there will be a, an unction that starts to rise up in us, Lord. An unction for us to to truly embrace the impossible and we say Jesus I know that you can do this in my life I know that you can do this in my life and Lord as we hold on to that Lord I pray that you'll, you'll help us to let it go help us to surrender it to you 
And Lord, we give you thanks. And we say, Lord, you are. You are the one that can do anything. Nothing is impossible for you. All things are possible with you. And so, Lord, as we gather here today, I pray. Lord, I pray for miracles, God. I pray that as we go home and as we start to really contend and as we start to really just just seek your will for our lives, I pray for miracles to really be ignited in this congregation, God. I pray that there will be months ahead, that there will be testimonies that are being shared. Because it may not seem like a miracle to the rest of us, but to them it may be a miracle where you broke into their lives and you did what you wanted to do. Help us to experience that, Lord. I just declare this place, Lord, miracles breaking out, God. And we just commit it into your hands. We thank you and we love you. And we give you all the, the glory, honor, and the praise. And, and we worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.